Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, limitless-estates.com, and grab our free passive investors guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, well now let's get into the show. Today we have Todd Dexheimer joining us. Todd, thanks for being here. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. Well, welcome. Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit more about Todd. Todd and his companies have purchased, renovated, and sold over 700 units. Todd and his team have purchased multifamily buildings in five different states and holds over $35 million of real estate. He has also raised over $15 million in private equity and has successfully provided his investors with double-digit returns on every investment. So Todd, that's super impressive, and we can't wait to hear how you did it. So why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Uh, Well, yeah, you summarized it pretty well. Uh, A little bit about my background. I used to be a former high school teacher, became an investor, did a lot of fix and flips, did, I don't know, 150 units or so, or properties of fix and flips, and uh, owned a a bunch of one to four families, bought a bunch of one to four families, and then eventually transitioned into what I'm doing right now, which is the kind of a larger multifamily, 100 plus units. And I actually took some steps along the way. So I didn't like the 10 to 20 unit um, and kind of worked my way up eventually. And I've done a lot of just interesting different things along the way. I owned a ski resort at one time. I flipped a mobile home park. I've flipped some apartment buildings. I've done some development, Some done some like um, land stuff. And so it's, it's been an interesting journey. It's been a lot of fun. And, and right now, as you said, my focus is multifamily syndication. Also do coaching, uh, multifamily coaching consulting for people who are trying to get into business as well. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more of the story and the background behind being a high school shop teacher to now being, you know, a very successful real estate investor? How did that happen for you? You know, it, honestly, it was kind of, kind of, teed up from the start, right? My, my first year teaching, I still can remember, it was probably like day number three. I don't remember when it was, but I can still remember going home to my wife and saying this, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. And it just, it didn't click for me. Uh, you know, there's some aspects of teaching I really enjoyed, other aspects I didn't. And I, I really wanted to control my time, control my, uh, control the opportunities that I had, uh, quite frankly. And and so through a lot of research and just reading books and digging into things, uh, entrepreneurship made sense. Then real estate started making sense. And so I started really diving into it and, and got interested in it. So I, I think it was just like that, you know, teaching just wasn't quite clicking for me. Um, and, and I needed to figure out something, something different. And 
and real estate ended up being what I landed in. How long do you think it was uh, before you it, that kind of clicked until you actually took the jump and, and went into real estate? It started clicking fairly early. Um, I, I shouldn't actually I shouldn't say that. I should I should really rewind that a little bit because I started teaching, I believe, in two thousand five would have been my first year, and I knew right then it wasn't quite for me. But I continued to just to, to I mean, I just went to school for you know four. Well, it took me four and a half years, so four and a half years. Um, you know, and I like I'm not just going to stop what I just went to school for, right? So I taught for a couple of years before I started just researching and really getting involved. So I would say it was a few years where I was like, uh, just kind of going along, going with the motions, trying to make the best out of it, thinking, you know, it'd be good. I, w- I would enjoy it more and more and more. And again, I, I enjoyed some aspects, but, uh, but then when I started really diving in and researching, that was 2000, early 2007. And it was 2008, middle of 2008 before I bought my first property. But I was like, obsessed with it by probably the end of 2007. I was completely obsessed. Like that's what I was going to be doing. And I didn't know that that was going to be like hundred percent my career. Like that's what I was going to choose. But I was determined to, to make this real estate investing a big part of my life. So for people out there that are looking to leave their W2 job and get into a career in real estate, what type of advice do you give to, you know, new people starting out and just getting started and looking forward to, you know, three, four, five years down the road that they want to do this full time? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it's all about getting educated, right? You've got to, you've got to listen to podcasts like this and understand, you know, what, what the world of investing is all about. And so you got to really get yourself educated. I think that's really important. I mean, you hear all these success stories, right? And somebody were to listen to this podcast and didn't hear what I just said is I started reading like beginning of 2007, you know, I started researching, I was looking for properties, you know, for, for six months before I found my first property. So it's, it's not like it just happened overnight. And even when I, but bought my you know first couple of properties. It's not like I was all of a sudden buying fifty properties and, re- and quit my job. You know, so it it takes a while. So I would say a couple of things: get educated first and foremost. Spend a lot of time on podcasts and on audibles and and you know bigger pockets and just reading books and just just getting to meetups and conferences. Um, and, and then patience is really important as well. I think people are so impatient. They want it right now. And, and podcasts maybe do that for us, right? And in bigger pockets and some of the social media stuff, because we see all these people that are successful. and We're like, oh, I want that. And we don't realize the road that they took to get there. Um, so, but just be patient get educated, and then eventually you're going to have to take massive action. Yeah. I mean, it's not get rich quick, right? It's build wealth over a very long period of time. So, okay. So you mentioned you got started in 2007, 2008, which probably is not the best time to get started or, you know, depending on how you look at it, maybe it was, but tell us what it was like going through the crash when you're first getting started and, you know, some of the challenges you had to deal with. Yeah. Well, you know, part of I would say part of the good thing is I was pretty ignorant. Like I didn't really understand. I knew that this market had crashed and burned and 
but I didn't really understand like the severity of it and what had really transpired. <laughs> so part of it was actually, you know, just ignorance of me not understanding completely what just happened. And maybe I wouldn't have been quite so involved had I fully understood uh, what just happened and what potentially could be continuing to happen. You know, we didn't know. I mean, when I first started, so, so just to give you like a glimpse of, of that time for those of you who are listening that, that don't quite remember it, you know, obviously we all kind of know what happened, but it was a different time. I mean, everybody was telling you that real estate was not a game to get into, that you're crazy and you're stupid if you're getting involved in it. Um, I remember doing some of my first deals when I was doing flipping and people told me nobody make, nobody does flipping anymore. You can't make any money on it. You're going to lose your money. Um, when I was buying my first rentals, you can't find loans. You can't, you know, can't find tenants. Um, every excuse in the book, what people would say is, look, you you just can't do this. Uh, it's the stupidest thing you're going to do. And so, so that was, I got all these naysayers and these are like investors, right? These are people that owned a bunch of properties that said they were successful investors and they're telling you like run, it will go the other way. Uh, and I had bankers too. bankers telling me you're crazy. You're stupid. You're going to lose all your money. Um, so it was, it was just a different time and you kind of had to put the blinders on and, and pretend like nobody was telling you that stuff because, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was challenging and it was challenging to find money. The deals were plentiful, right? In 2008, I mean, those deals were everywhere. Uh, but, but the money wasn't. And the other thing that, people don't realize they go, Oh, 2008 is a great time to buy you know, hindsight. We can all say we wish we would have bought everything, but at the same time, prices were falling still. So I would buy a property for 60 K I'd fix it all off. I'd be in a, you know, 80 to hundred K and you know, I thought I created a bunch of value. It was worth 120. Well, six months later, it's now worth a hundred. And six months after that, it's, it's worth 90 and I'm going to oh, crap, you know, but I'm renting it and I'm making good money. So it worked. So as far as like it, you mentioned it, that it's difficult to get the capital when uh, the market's going the wrong way, you know, deals are plentiful. What were some of the things that you did to, to find that capital during a time when everyone was afraid of real estate? Yeah. So first things first is, uh, I, I, I was seeking out a partner. So I ended up finding a partner that, um, uh, I actually thought had a lot of money. Um, he happened to not have as much money as I thought, but he had the connections and his connections to other people with money were, was pretty good. And so we were able to get investors into our deal, private investors into our deal. This is before hard money was really, really plentiful. And it, the hard, I'm sure there was hard money around it, but I didn't even know it existed. Um, and it wasn't plentiful at all. Um, it was super expensive. So anyway, so he had these connections. So that was first things first. Um, next thing is I wanted to buy rental properties. And at the time you could only really get four in your personal name. So I had my personal mortgage in the house I lived in. And then I got, you know, two, a couple others, three others. And then I kind of ran out. So then I, I found partners, um, that would put the loan in their name and then we'd partner together. Uh, so that was another way. And then the, 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 the last way is when I truly ran out of that and, and I was having a hard time finding more partners to, to do that. I started calling local banks and I called literally like a hundred plus probably. Uh, local banks and, and got 
so many, you're crazy as a nose and you're stupid, but I ended up getting enough local banks that said, yeah, we, we would lend on these rental properties to be able to push forward and, and get these properties. It's awesome. just about being relentless, man. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. So kind of on the same term um, uh, with raising capital here, I was at a conference last year, you were speaking at it and you talked about how you were able to get 97% of your soft commitments to hard commitments and invest in your deals. So can you talk about that process and, and how that worked? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's several steps. I, I don't know if you want me to go through all of them, but uh, you know, the, I think the main point is communication with your investors and setting up expectations. So expectations and communication. I mean, we want to make sure our investors know and understand what we're trying to achieve. So I think a lot of uh, syndicators out there, they go about raising money and, uh, and, and they allow these soft commitments, which is fine, but they don't really push. And one of the things I do is, is I, I don't like, if you're going to commit to investing in one of my deals, I expect that you're going to invest in one of my deals. And so that's my expectation. And I, and I make sure that I actually communicate that to my investors. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things for you to be successful with raising money. I mean, you just, you have to be able to, to push that. So, you know, the, so let me, let me just go through, I'll go through the, the six steps, right? So first step is educate early and often. And that's education on our process. That's education on the syndication process. It's education on multifamily. Um, that's just overall education. We want them to understand what's going on. So that way when an investment does come, they're fully, com completely comfortable. If they're not comfortable, they're making a decision that potentially could be reversed. Um, next thing is when you actually get the property under contract and you have an offering that you're sending to your investors, you really have to give a sound presentation. And by sound presentation, it doesn't mean I want to hound them with the numbers, show them why the investment is such a good deal uh, because they're going to make these amazing returns. No, I want them to understand the story. Right. I want to them to understand what we're doing from start to finish to make this property, this amazing property. Not necessarily how much money are we making, but how much difference are we making in the property, in the community. Um, and then, you know, you want them to feel like they could live there. They could do business there. They've been to the property. They have touched it. So you want to do that, those things by, you know, drone footage and pictures and videos and stuff like that. Um, next thing is provide documents right away. Uh, you want to be able to give them their private placement memorandum, uh, allow them to sign like right away, you know, be on it and make sure they, they actually do have that stuff in front of them in order to make that decision. Um, th this is a big one. This next one's a big one and it's contacting your investors. I make sure we have a phone call with each of our investors that say they're committed. Just, it can be just a simple, like three minute phone call. Um, you know, just, just very simple. And I want to just reiterate that they're investing like, Hey, uh, you know, we got your commitment for, you know, $50,000 or whatever it is. We're excited to have you a part of the investment. And, you know, thanks again for, you know, investing in this deal type of thing. 
and then continually contact them, continually uh, make sure that they understand that this investment is still going through. I think that's important. So I, I always do weekly emails, week after week after week, because there, there was a time a long time ago when I was doing this flipping that I had an investor that we went to close on the property and I asked for their funds and <laughs> they, they uh, I didn't communicate with them with, with them through the process. They ended up uh, not doing the deal. Like the day of closing, we didn't get the deal done. Now, luckily I was able to do it um, but eventually, but you know, it was just crazy. Um, so communicate is he's massive and communication is going to show them that, Hey, you're going to be a good communicator with us. So it makes them feel warm and fuzzy and comfortable with you as well. Um, and then get it in writing again, get the do got document signed as, as early as possible and then fund early, you know, like, look, I want you to make sure you have the money instead of just the day before, let's have it a couple weeks before. Um, even if you're paying them a little bit of interest on that money, it's better to have it in your escrow account than it is to wait till the last minute to get it, especially when you're dealing with like IRA funds. Um, you know, that's, that's huge. So, so those are kind of like the six kind of main things. Um, you know, it, it's, it's honestly, it's all about communication and education. Those are the two biggest things. How do you do that with the communication without sounding too pushy? I mean, I know some people just yeah. getting started in, in raising capital, you know, kind of see it as not providing an opportunity, but really being pushy. And I think depending on how you communicate, you could come off pushy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I can understand that. And I think it's, it's about what you just said. It's providing an opportunity. It's, it's not that you're, um, I think it's just clear, consistent communication. It's, it's uh, all about setting up expectations. So you shouldn't sound desperate, right? We don't want to sound desperate to our investors, um, but it's all about just clear, consistent communication. So, and it's updates, right? It's, it's education. It's informative. Uh, it's not an ask. Uh, it's a this is what we do. Like it's, it's I, I don't ask my investors to sign. I tell them to sign. Like this is what we do. This is a process. Look, if you were to invest in any other large company out there or any company out there, they should have systems and processes in place. And if they do, uh, your investors respect that and they understand that. And it actually looks professional upon you. So I think that's, that's just it we start with that phone call. And like I said, it's just a three minute phone call, five minute phone call. It's just, Hey, you know, I'm just, just calling you, calling you to communicate that we, you know, received your, um, you know, your, your investment pledge of $50,000. You know, we're excited to have you a part of the company and excited about, you know, the investment and maybe give a little short synopsis of the deal and then tell them again, you know, we're looking forward to working with you and expect some emails coming up. Okay. How about when you don't have a deal on your table, how often are you communicating with your investors then? Um, yeah, that's, that's something that I actually want to work on uh, doing a little bit better. Right now I've been doing uh, a quarterly, uh, fairly consistently. Sometimes I get a little, little laxed on that even, but um, quarterly, just trying to send that email out. The email I send out is uh, just kind of an update. So I try to give a business or a personal update. I try to then provide education. Uh, it might be something I wrote, like a blog. It might be something uh, I researched on the internet that I was really interested in. 
uh, might give a podcast that I really enjoyed listening to, or maybe one that I did. Um, so, you know, it's just some updates and some education to keep them interested in not only multifamily real estate investing, uh, but my company as well. So I think that's really important. And then I'm always open for communication with, with any investors throughout, but I don't have like a um, consistent call that I do with potential investors or anything like that. For people that want to maybe just get started in raising capital, how did you get started with raising capital and finding your investors and building up that list? So um, I'm going to, everybody's different. And so my story, of course, was I was getting these investors in my flips, right? And so most of my first original investors came from my flipping days and when I transitioned over. Um, but as far as like saying, Hey, how did I get those, those investors in the first place? And then how have I gotten my new investors? It's honestly, it's just been, um, kind of putting yourself out there, talking about what you're doing, providing good education, providing resources for other people, uh, letting people know what you do. Uh, those have been valuable. I think my my strongest investors, the, the investors that invest the most amount of money and most consistently actually know me, like face-to-face -face have met me. We've met at a meetup. We've met for lunch, whatever it is. Those are the people that consistently invest with me and invest the most amount of money. The other investors, and I do have quite a few, a lot of other investors that have never met me face-to-face, -face, I would say they consistently invest a little bit less money and are less consistent on whether they invest. So face-to-face -face meetings are huge. If you can get in front of people, I think that's super valuable. So any opportunity you have, especially if you've got investors from a different state, uh, any opportunity you have to somehow meet them, I'll take it full advantage of that. Uh, that's, that's really huge. Lily is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money, but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies, like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, Todd, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Um, yeah, so I, I thought about this one. I, I'm, I'm going to say probably I'm going to call, can I call my brokers a tool? Like they're sure. of mine. And I'm <laughs> going to say the, the brokers, I know that's not like a technical tool, but um, they are so valuable in my business uh, for finding properties. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? <laughs> so uh, this one is uh, not 
not actually having contracts or good contracts. I did have contracts, but I set up a deal with these, uh, these young buyers when I was back in my flipping days. And, um, and I was doing some construction for them. So basically it's a pre-sold the property, pre-sold the flip without actually doing the work. So they got to pick out all the stuff. And, uh, I, so I was now the contractor and we just didn't have strong contracts and it ended up costing me about $70,000 in the end, uh, which hurt. So the lesson I learned is don't skimp on legal contracts, do it the right way. Like how I deal with my investors, I'm not going to skimp on legal contracts. I want them to be protected and I want myself to be protected and we just want to do it right. So attorneys cost a lot of money. And so it's easy to go, ah, no, I don't want to pay that attorney. I can do it myself for, you know, a lot cheaper or I can, you know, hire the cheap attorney or whatever it is. Just do it right. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Um, you know, just, I, I would say continue to, um, a kind of adjust and mold to what's going on in the market. Uh, you know, continue to communicate with everybody around about kind of where I'm trying to go and, and the opportunities that I'm trying to pursue. So right now, one of the big things I've been, um, you know, when I talk with people, it's look, I'm open for opportunity and I'm very open for potential business relationships that make sense, right? And not everything's going to make sense, but I'm very open for continuing to do business with good people that I would know, like, and trust. And so I'm open for opportunity and I really want to continue to expand and grow the company and move it forward in a positive direction. Fantastic. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so a couple different uh, ways they can go onto my website. It's it's venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com. On there, I've actually got a free kind of, um, I'll call it an e-brochure or e-pamphlet or whatever you want to call it, but uh, e-pamphlet maybe. Um, I, I just a multifamily syndication, a lot of good information in there. Um, of course, I got my podcast, it's Pillars of Wealth Creation. Um, they can check that out as well. Fantastic. Well, listeners, if you don't already go listen to Todd's podcast, Pillars of Wealth Creation for some great content. So we appreciate your time and thanks for being on our show today. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to limitless-estates.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.